Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cocoa Pods. This is a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. I'm Dr. Bola Sogade. I'm a women's health specialist. I'm an obstetrician, gynecologist, family physician, and talk about everything relating to women's health. Today, we are fortunate to have with us all the way from California, Dr. Pringles Miller. Did I say that right, Dr. Miller? Yes, Pringle. Pringle. Yeah. Right, because when I think about Pringles, I think about a stackable potato chip, an American brand potato chip. Is there any relation to your name like that? I would love to say that I was a part of the family that created Pringles because that would put me in a very different economic space. But unfortunately, no, I can't claim any association. Okay, so Dr. Mila, you are in San Francisco, California. Is that correct? I'm outside of San Francisco. Francisco. North of San Francisco, right? Yes. Correct. And you are an MD and you are also a fellow of the American College of Surgeons. That's correct. And also you are the founder of Physician Just Equity. So can you please just tell us about, you know, your academic background and Physician Just Equity at Equity Docs? What does that mean? Sure. And thank you, Dr. Sugati, so much for inviting me to be a guest on your podcast. I really appreciate it. I'll start just with my background. I actually really wanted to be a doctor for for a long time since I was a child. I think like many brown girls of my generation, so growing up in the late 60s, 70s, it was sort of a far reach, not knowing any other doctors. I mean, that's a common story. But I had the good fortune of being encouraged by other physicians as a very accident-prone child. I think that that also sped into my interest in being a physician. And I was fortunate enough to apply to medical school after finishing undergrad and was encouraged by various people and was admitted into medical school and actually thought I was going to do primary care. I think, again, because surgery was just not on my radar as a specialty that brown women went into, you know, it just is a lack of exposure. You don't know what you don't know. But to my surprise, I really fell in love with surgery, just like so many other stories when I was exposed to it. I just couldn't deny that the operative intervention and sort of the energy and the quick gratification, being able to use my hands and also to some degree be creative with the way that I operated to try to get in and get out of people's bodies without a trace. That was sort of my motto because minimally invasive surgery became very much the standard of how to approach different surgical diseases. You know, I just was very attached to that and fortunately was given opportunities and was able to have a pretty full career through my work as an acute care surgeon, somebody who just focuses on emergencies towards the end of my surgical career. And I say that because I think at this point I'm actually retired from clinical medicine, but I was witnessing a lot of more sick and infirm folks coming in with serious life-threatening surgical conditions and needing to really discuss with them and their families how to manage their condition. And a lot of that was end-of-life conversation and symptom management conversation. And I felt very ill-equipped as a general surgeon trained in, in the time that I was trained and coming up in the practice 
time that I was practicing to really deal with those issues to my satisfaction. And so I went back and did a fellowship in hospice and palliative medicine and followed it with the fellowship in clinical medical ethics. And that was sort of my complete package of clinical acumen that I had hoped to bring to the table of an integrated emergency general surgery practice. And then you asked me about physician just equity. So I have experienced a lot of inequities throughout my career, even with the privilege and the opportunities that I've been able to capitalize on. And as I got a little bit more courage to start talking to other colleagues in surgery, women primarily, about their experiences in the workplace, it it became very clear to me that my situation was not a one-off and that the gender and racial intersectional challenges that we face in the medical surgical workspace are significant and they really do impact what we're able to achieve. Many of us run up into barriers that we can't be our full self, we can't exercise our full potential, and we get shot down if we're successful because the system doesn't really want to support success. It was a hard realization, but it was a realization that made me understand that there needs to be an advocacy organization for women and underrepresented minorities and or underrepresented individuals in the medical field to have a place to fall back on for safety and support because we don't find that usually in our institutions, within our sections, within our departments, and we find it in our larger community, but those are people who sometimes aren't a part of medicine and don't really know the way that medicine works. So that's why I founded Physician Just Equity. I'm proud to say that we're several months into our incorporation, into getting our 501c3 status, having our website launched, starting to work with peers in a way that helps them see options and have more empowerment to be able to navigate their workplace experiences. And I I feel like we need to sort of tackle this beast from the institutional level, but also from the direct peer level, because if peers are not provided information to protect themselves and to claim their rights, then I don't think that we're going to be moving the needle. And so that's kind of what this organization is really focused on. It is not so much institutional reform, but helping individuals become a worthy adversary to the institutional shenanigans that we know play out over and over and over again and are disrupting people's careers and sometimes ending people's careers prematurely in a very egregious way. Wow. Thank so I'll stop talking. No, thank you. <laughs> no, this that is that was a lot. No, this is what we need. Thank you so much. You wrote two articles that caught my attention, and um, one of them was the irony of diversity, equity, and inclusion during the fall of black doctors. Addressing racial health disparities in our patients start with ending racism in our workplace. And this was just released April 9 of this year. And the other article was Inclusion for Women in Surgery Involves Re-Envisioning the Surgeon Archetype, a Commentary for the Social Consciousness in Surgical Care and Research Series for Surgery. And this was also released in March 23 of this year. And we come from a 
maternal mortality reduction point of view. You know, in Georgia, you know, I wonder how can we reduce maternal mortality in Georgia or in the U.S. at all when the doctors taking care of the minority patients are disappearing. And as you stated, you know, how can we, what is the future of healing the racial healthcare disparities and injustices? That's a loaded question. And, you know, I think at the very basic level, we know that there is evidence that suggests that racial concordance between clinicians and patients subscribes a better outcome than racial discordance, which isn't to say that everyone who's a clinician can't be empowered to treat all of their patients similarly and strive for best outcomes, but we're seeing patterns that demonstrate these disparities. And so I think, you know, one of the ways to tackle this, which we also know, is is more inclusivity and recruitment of talent of underrepresented minorities into fields such as OBGYN to mitigate that maternal mortality rate. And what the first article you cited was really about was if we're seeing black doctors fall, and that wasn't specific to doctors that are specialists in OBGYN, but in general, if we're seeing black doctors fall in their workspaces when they're excelling and known to be leaders because of issues related to racism, and those folks have already ascended to positions in the workforce, we're not talking about not having people, you know, we're not talking about the underrepresentation of medical students, for example, black medical students being four to five percent when the representation is 13 percent of the population. So if we're already starting from behind, not recruiting and admitting the population representation, and then we're systematically eliminating people once they're in the profession, then that total number is going to be less. And if the data suggests that racial concordance is important to strive and to get the outcomes that we really know should be existing, then we're really in a bad space. I think we just need to do more advocacy work. We need to rally around the people who are interested in entering the field. We need to rally around the people who are in the field. We need to preserve and retain the people who are already there. And we need to make an impact on the folks that aren't brown and black people, that this is an important ethical duty that everybody be treated the same so that we don't see these disparities. And, you know, then you talk about regionalism where there's still more evidence of racism and sexism in the South than there is, for example, in the Pacific Northwest or California or other places in the country. So there's definitely not a geographical equalizer. You know, there are places that are a little bit further ahead than other places. And one of the things I think is really interesting one of the articles that I read, which doesn't have to do with race so much, but I think it's probably relatable in some respects, is it was a cardiology article that looked at outcomes in women who were patients relative to their providers. So women who treated women, men who treated women, and then men who worked with women. 
And what was really remarkable about that article, and I, I could get it for you, but I, I can't remember the title of it right now, was that women physicians and their patients had better outcomes. So when you had gender concordance, you saw better outcomes for women than the men. But then when you had men who worked with women, their outcomes were better than men that didn't work with women. And so I think, you know, the reason I mention this is that we need more numbers because I think that those numbers will not only have direct effect on outcomes because of the care people are delivering, but the impact of our expertise and our awareness of what needs to happen across the board in terms of equity will be more front and center for all of the people who maybe don't see that right now. And so it's not just that impact of racially concordant doctors on their patient population, but it's the ripple effect of that care on the people around them in their community. And I, I do think that that also has significant value and ultimately will get us to our goal because we're not going to be the majority race in medicine. So we need to get other people on board with us to do the right thing and provide equal care or equitable care across the board. Yeah, I think in your other paper, you did mention about the gender of the patient and the gender of the provider. But before we hop on that, in one of your papers, it was also stated that in about 13 years from now, that is in the year 2033, in the United States, there will be 55,000 less black doctors in medicine. And I think you kind of calculated the math in your discussion by saying, you know, if we already have less people going in and then the attrition rate is somewhat high, then there are going to be less numbers of physicians at the end of the equation. So that was actually not specific to black doctors. That was a statistic that I drew from two different national organizations. So the one having to do with medicine physicians or physicians was taken from the AAMC, I believe, and then the 30,000 less surgeons was taken from the American College of Surgeons. And I think that the important point is that we're looking at a physician shortage, not just racially specific, but just in general, we're looking at a physician shortage coming up in 2033. And I think that because there isn't a retention for underrepresented minority physicians and surgeons, this deficit is just going to be worse because that's just a projection given the population and how many, the throughput of physicians into the system. That's not really accommodating for, and it's probably accommodating to some degree for retirement, but the people that are leaving for reasons related to discrimination are not leaving when they're retirement age. They're leaving when they're in their early career stage or mid-career stage. So I think those numbers are probably underestimates, and they're certainly not taking into consideration the proportional loss of women and underrepresented minorities. And, you know, as a group of, as a profession, are we acknowledging, you know, racism? Are black colleagues willing to support one another openly, transparently, and with the courage to choose what is right 
over what is safe or convenient? I mean, what is, even as a profession, what is going on amongst us? Yeah, I mean, another really excellent question. I can't say that I have my finger on the pulse of that entirely, but what I can say from my own experience and talking to many, many people who are having difficulties in the workplace is that, you know, medicine is hierarchical. There are dominant relationships. It's white male dominated. And because of those different structures that are implicit to the profession, as it is right now, it's very hard to speak up because you become a vulnerable individual if you're a dissenting opinion about what's going on. And that might have to do with supporting a colleague who's being bullied and harassed. It might have something to do with knowing that the patient care isn't up to quality and you're saying something about that because you're a patient advocate. So there are a lot of reasons that people find themselves in untoward situations in their workplace. And and I don't think it's just a an issue of underrepresented doctors, black doctors not supporting one another. I mean, I think it's really an issue of doctors in general not supporting one another and the struggle to stay in the game. And if you voice something that isn't popular, you're vulnerable. And when you've invested many, many years and often very much capital into your career, you know, it's hard to argue that people should sacrifice that. I mean, I've often made the parallel, and it's not a parallel by any stretch of the imagination, but during the civil rights movement, people sacrificed their lives for civil rights. And I think we're at a space where people are sacrificing their careers for civil rights. It's obviously a dramatically different sacrifice to sacrifice your life over your career, but people who go into medicine have a strong calling. You know, they may do it partially because of the economics, but a lot of people do it because they just have a passion for helping other people, and it's sort of their calling. And when you pour so much of yourself into that calling, into that career, and you have to make a choice between ending your career prematurely because they're going to come after you versus keeping quiet so you can continue in your career... You know, it's a very difficult decision to make for a lot of people, people who are supporting families, people who are supporting parents, people, you know, people have economic needs and they love what they do. Sometimes turning a blind eye for self-preservation is the choice that people make. My contention with decision just equity is I think if we form a large enough coalition of people that are watching the accountability of institutions and people in power, it's going to be harder and harder to pick us apart. It's going to be harder and harder to single out individuals because they won't be individuals anymore. They'll have a huge network of people behind them who will make a lot of noise if something goes wrong. And so that's sort of the premise of physician just equity is the system isn't policing itself adequately. We know this to be true. Some places do it better than others, but in general, there's a real failure of advocacy for individuals at the institution. And so we need to be our own advocates. We need to have a union. You know, we need to be a collective that cannot be reckoned with. Well, Dr. Miller, thank you so much for your time. You know, this is just 
amazing. I know you are an extremely busy woman. I really appreciate your time and your insight into this problem. So thank you so very much. Also available on our website, the information for physician just equity. So thank you so much for your time. We're very appreciative of you. I'm appreciative of you too and all the work you're doing. And thank you so much for inviting me to join you on the podcast. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.